Well, good morning. This year we celebrate the 100-year anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. I shared with you last week that 20 partially filled lifeboats sat at a safe distance watching that ship go down. And only one lifeboat, number 14, went back in the darkness to seek and save drowning passengers. The others sat passively and idly next to empty seats and tuned out the cries of the dying. And we all have to say when we hear that, why didn't they do something? The captain of the Italian cruise ship, Costa Concordia, steered it onto the rocks last week and then abandoned ship while people were still on board, lost, confused, dying. The recurring word when people talk about him is coward. Spiritually speaking, this world is the Titanic. Spiritually speaking, this world is capsized and doomed to sink. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this, am I abandoning ship? Am I sitting comfortably in my lifeboat, tuning out the cries of the lost? Am I going to do something? And if so, what? How do I paddle back spiritually and reach out to lost people? Well, we began to lay out a simple plan last week. Number one was love. The message of the gospel is not just verbal. It is incarnational. That's why Jesus is called the Word. He is the Word. God communicates us to us in a person. The Bible says the Word became flesh. And we beheld, we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten Son, full of grace and full of truth. He came as the Word and we saw Him. And God is still communicating incarnationally in you and me because we are the body of Christ. So it's not enough to rent a billboard. It's not enough to leave a track. It's not enough to write an anonymous note. The gospel is not just heard, it is seen in us. And what is the evidence? What is the thing that people ought to see in us that communicates the truth of the gospel? It's love. It's love. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you carry a big black Bible. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have a fish on your car. 
By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you don't drink or smoke or chew or go with girls who do. No. Jesus said, this is it. This is how they'll know. If you have love for one another. Some of you are confiding in your lost friends how lousy your marriage is, and then you're wondering why they don't respond to the gospel. Because they're saying it's not working in your life. Where's the love you're talking about? If you're gossiping about people and then sharing the gospel, where's the love in that? Jesus said the evidence is this, you will love one another. You will love your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. That's your platform. Not only should you love your brothers and sisters, you should love the lost as much as Paul did in Romans chapter 9 when he said, I would give my salvation if it meant the salvation of somebody else. I would give up my salvation. I would go to hell if it meant that person could go to heaven. You see, when you get that kind of love, it's going to resonate with people. And then, of course, we love Jesus. Love Jesus enough to let him fill us with his love for lost people. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. What does that tell me? If I'm not a fisher of men, I'm not really following Jesus. If not, I'm not bearing much fruit, then I'm not abiding in Jesus. So you can tell people how mature you are in Christ, and you can talk about how spiritual you are, but if there's no evidence of fruit in your life, then you're just talking. When you ask a fisherman if he had a good day, what does he do? Oh, yeah, I had a good day. There it is. If you're following Jesus and abiding in Jesus, guess what? You should be able to hold up your stringer. Is that what you call it? String, stringer, bunch of fish. Love is foundational. It's the platform. We love Jesus. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we love the lost. Secondly, we're to pray. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. When it comes time to pray, what are the two things on your top of your prayer list? I can probably guess. Two things I hear when we say, let's pray, what are the prayer requests? The things that I hear most often are safe travel and health. Those things pop up all the time. Oh, somebody's sick, somebody's sick, somebody's got to travel, safety and health. 
You know what Paul's two primary prayer requests were? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 20. Pray that I may speak the gospel boldly. And Romans 10.1, my heart's desire and my prayer for them is that they be saved. Pray that I'll be bold in sharing the gospel and pray that they'll respond and be saved. That's on the top of his list. And I would challenge you that we need to rearrange our prayer list. Start praying for lost people that they would be saved and start praying, God, use me to be the person to bring them to you. Give me boldness, give me confidence to share the gospel. If you do a walk through the book of Acts, when you come to that phrase, filled with the Spirit, you know what's most often associated with the filling of the Spirit in the book of Acts? They were filled with the Spirit, and the next thing it says, the result was they spoke the gospel boldly. When people were filled with the Spirit of God, the evidence I see in the book of Acts is that they stepped forward in boldness and proclaimed the gospel. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because how do you get filled with the Spirit? Well, you get closer to Jesus. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus said, abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. So as you get close to Jesus, you're filled with the Spirit. And guess what? You speak boldly for Christ. I don't know about you, but it seems like every time I get filled with the Spirit, I leak. You leak? That's why the Bible commands us in Ephesians 5, 18, where it says, be filled with the Spirit. It says, literally, be being filled with the Spirit. Keep being filled with the Spirit. So just because you were filled with the Spirit yesterday doesn't mean you're going to be filled with the Spirit today. You have to keep drawing near to Him and being filled with the Spirit. And so let me suggest to you that we pray for ourselves, that we be Spirit-filled so that we speak boldly. And we pray for our friends and our family and our neighbors that they would come to know the Lord Jesus. Let's pray for boldness till the house shakes like it did in Acts chapter 4. And let's pray for the lost, like Paul did in Romans chapter 10, with passion. And then see God work. Number one is love. Number two is pray. Number three is listen. Listen. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I have become all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. God, or Paul used all kinds of means in communicating to people. Tells me there are no canned presentations of the gospel. There is no one size fits all in sharing the gospel. He said in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders. Who are outsiders? Those outside the kingdom, outside the faith. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward them, making the most of the opportunity. How? Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. 
You're to season your message with salt to be palatable to each person. Now, how do you know how much salt to put on it? How do you know how you should respond to each person? How do you know what means to use? Well, you have to listen. You have to listen. That's not hard. All you've got to do is get people to talk about themselves. That's their favorite subject anyway. Say, so tell me, where'd you grow up? And then steer the conversation. How did it make you feel when your parents got a divorce? Did you go to church? Did you get anything out of it? Tell me about your spiritual journey up until now. Or, you know, my favorite question is this. If you died today, if you got up from this table, walked out, and got hit by a truck, and it was over with, if you died today and stood before the Lord, and he said to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Now, that narrows it down. Okay, you don't want to be careful where you throw this question out. But If you died today, stood before God, and he said, okay, why should I let you into heaven? What would be your answer? And there are really only three answers to that question. One is, I don't have a clue. I don't know. If somebody answers that way, you say, well, how do you, what do you think God's going to say next? When you say, I don't have a clue. The other possible answer is this. I believe in Jesus plus. That's the person who says, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus and I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying real hard. I would tell God I went to church every Sunday and I went on a mission trip and I gave money to the church. Jesus plus. My follow-up question is always, well, my problem with that is, when do you know when you've done enough? You know, if it's Jesus plus something else and you're working your way into heaven, when do you know when you've done enough? And usually people tell me, well, as long as, you know, basically as long as I'm better than Hitler, I'll get in. I don't have a clue is one possibility. I believe in Jesus plus is a second possibility. And then the third possible answer is I trust in Jesus, period. But when somebody tells you that, don't take it at that. Say, okay, tell me about that. Tell me what you mean by that. And let them tell you their story. Listen to people so that you know where they're coming from. And then fourthly, speak. And I told you last time that the primary thing you have to say is to use your testimony, to tell your story. Paul gave his testimony three times in the book of Acts. Remember Legion, the guy that Jesus cast the multiple demons out, and Legion said, I want to follow you, and Jesus said, no, I want you to go home and tell people what great things the Lord has done for you. That's his testimony. We need to be telling people what the Lord has done for us. 
And so after you've listened, say, can I tell you my story? Now, your testimony is the easiest thing you can share because you're the only one who really knows it. So nobody's going to come up and say, ah, you got that wrong. It's your story. You're comfortable with that. You're talking about yourself. You're telling your story. And as I said last week, you need to sit down and write it out. Make sure you've got it bullet-pointed, outlined, so you're comfortable in sharing and emphasizing the things that you need to. And, of course, the person you're talking to is comfortable with it, too, because you're not pointing your finger at them and saying, this is about you. You're just saying, this is my story. This is what happened to me. That's non-threatening to another person. So after you've listened to the person, you share your story. And if part of your story coincides with their answer to the question, then you emphasize that. You say, you know, there was a time in my life when I didn't know what I would have said to God if I died. Or I used to be very religious, and I thought that I was pleasing God. Tell your testimony. And after you tell your story, sometimes we we make it harder on ourselves because we think we have to preach full sermons. You're just planting a seed. You tell your story, and then you say to that person, now, if you're interested in knowing more about this, I'd love to talk to you again. This is my story. I'm going to put the ball in your court. If you want to talk more about it, I'm always available. Now, when they come back to you and say, I want to talk more about it, what are you going to say? That's what I'd like to focus on today. Several years back, My dad had uh, brain surgery, and he went up to Mayo Clinic to have the brain surgery, and so I went up there, took him up there to have the brain surgery, and uh, while we were there, my brother was flying in to be there because the surgery was the next day, and uh, so I went to the airport at Mayo Clinic and uh, got to the airport that evening and sat down, and this was back when... uh, Smoking was allowed in airports, but they had smoking and non-smoking areas. So I sat in an area just sitting there, and a guy came in and sat probably about the first pew away from me and lit up a cigarette. And I looked and saw that's the non-smoking area, and this is a smoking area. And I was kind of thinking, you know, I'm, I'm right, in the, right in the draft here. This is a bad plan. So I, I got up and moved and uh, went upstairs where the planes were going to arrive. There was nobody up there. So I'm upstairs a little early and, and waiting, and uh, this is uh, Rochester, Minnesota, and so they had a lot of uh, wheelchairs there because people come there and they're sick, and so I've always wanted to find out if you can do a wheelie with a wheelchair, and there was nobody up there, so I got one of these wheelchairs, and I was, you know. I tell you that to, to, to let you understand, I was not thinking about lost people at that point in time. I was thinking about wheelies. People started coming up, and I thought this looks a little irresponsible, so I got out of the wheelchair. 
and sat down. And this same guy who had the cigarette across from me came upstairs and he sat nearby and we started chit-chatting a little bit. And we made small talk. And, of course, I'm at a little bit of an advantage in that he asked me what I did for a living. And I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, well, is that kind of like a priest or what is that? And I said, no. And I, so I shared my testimony with him, the brief version of how I became a pastor and how I came to know the Lord, first of all. And I said to him, you know, if you're interested in talking more about that, I'm going to be here for probably another week or so, he was there picking up his family. He lived in the area. I gave him the name of the hotel I was in and the phone number, and I left it with him, and I said, if you want to contact me, let me know. Left the ball in his court. Picked up my brother, went back to the hotel. Next day, he called me. He said, I'd like to talk more with you. And so we set up the following evening to meet at a restaurant there in Rochester and talk. And so I went to the restaurant. I met him there. And I've given you in your bulletin the outline that I use when I talk to somebody. Now, I hesitate to give you this because I don't want it to become your canned presentation. What I like about it is It uses verses in Romans that are all in the same vicinity. And so what I did with this guy, his name was Dan Jensen. And I sat down with Dan and I had my Bible with me. And I opened the Bible and let him read the verses. And then I would only have to turn a couple pages to the next verse and let him read the next verse. Because I believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I want to use the word of God in that presentation. But I would, I would suggest to you, if you don't have a way to present the gospel, that you look at this and maybe use this. The cool thing about it is you can add your own illustrations and you can use them over and over again because you're talking to one person at a time. And so you just build illustrations and build the way to do this. And also, what I might say is, depending on that person's answer to the question about what they would say to God, you develop the part that you want to emphasize most out of where they're coming from. But I I told Dan, I sat down with him, I said, uh, first of all, I asked him to tell me more about himself. (laughs) And I asked him that question. I said, well, you know, if you died today and went before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And he said, I don't know. I wouldn't have a thing to say. And I said, well, can I tell you what the Bible says? The Bible basically has good news and bad news. The bad news is that God's standard for entrance into heaven is perfection. And none of us are perfect. None of us are good enough. We all lie. We all cheat. We all lose our temper. We're selfish. The Bible calls that sin. In fact, the word sin means to miss the mark, to not hit the goal that we have in mind. And then I had him read Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says we're all sinners. That's the bad news. 
have to be perfect to get into heaven, and we're all sinners. In fact, it says we fall short of the glory of God. That's like me saying I fall short of the glory of Albert Pujols when it comes to baseball. But when it comes to holiness, we all fall short of the glory of God because the glory of God is perfection, absolute holiness, 100%. And so the entrance into heaven is to be like God, perfect, and we all fall short and God doesn't grade on a curve. And the illustration I like to use, if I was talking to you, I would say everybody stand up and I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, I want everybody to jump up here on the stage with me in one jump. Now, you might say, if you're in the back, well, they got an advantage because they're up front. But the reality is, if everybody jumps, nobody's going to make it. Some will get closer than others, but nobody's going to make it. You look at this world and say, well, I'm from a tough neighborhood and I wasn't raised in a Christian home and I had disadvantages. I'm further away. It doesn't matter because the person who's on the front row isn't going to make it either. The Bible doesn't say we compare ourselves to each other. It says we have to meet God's standard, which is perfection. And we all fall short. That's bad news, but it gets worse. Because then I had Dan read Romans 6.23. It says, the wages of sin is death. And I said, Dan, what are wages? Well, that's what you earn. And what have you earned for your sin? Death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. So you're a sinner... Your sin earns you death. That's bad news. So I said, let's review, Dan. Are you a sinner? Yeah. What are your wages for being a sinner? Death. See, not only do, are you not going to get into heaven, you are on the road that is destined for hell. You're in deep weeds. But there's a second message in the Bible. Not only is it bad news, but it's also good news. In fact, the word gospel means good news. And then I open the scripture a couple pages to Romans 5, 8, and let him read that God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Dan, Jesus died for you. He died in your place. He died on the cross that you should have died on. He paid the debt that you could never pay. That's the good news. And then I turned over another page, back to Romans 6, 23, and read the rest of that verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is eternal life? That's to live forever. To live forever with God. That's the equivalent of heaven. To be with God forever. 
And this verse says it's a gift. Do you earn a gift? No. You see, our sin earns us eternal death. But God has a gift, which is eternal life. And so I said to Dan, I said, Dan, how do you get a gift? What do you have to do to get a gift? He said, well, I guess nothing. I said, well, if I had a brand new car out in the parking lot, brand new Lexus, and I had the keys to it right now, I was going to give it to you, and I said, Dan, it's a gift, it's yours. What would you have to do to receive the gift? He said, well, I I just have to open my hands and take it. I said, that's right. But I said, as much as I would want to give you the gift, if you wouldn't receive it, I couldn't give it to you. God is giving us the gift of eternal life. He's offering it freely to us in Jesus Christ. All we have to do is receive it. Then I said to Dan, you know, if I bought you that brand new car, and I came in here and I handed you the keys and you took the keys and then you reached in your pocket and you said, Dan, here's $5 to help pay for it. That would be an insult. See, that's what we do when we say, I'm going to receive Jesus plus. I'm going to receive the gift of eternal life that I can't earn and I can't deserve, and then we say, I'm going to try to work my way to deserve it. That's an insult to God. At that point, I said, Dan, I want to tell you the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is man trying to work his way to heaven. Christianity is God coming out of heaven down to earth to bring us back to himself. Religion is spelled D-O, do Do, do, do. Work your way to God. You look at every religion in this world, it's all about man trying to work his way. Do more, do more, do more. Do enough to satisfy God. Religion is spelled do. Christianity is spelled done. D-O-N-E. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. He did it all for you and me. And that's why salvation is a gift. And when you receive that gift, God forgives your sin and he gives you his righteousness. He gives you his perfect record. He gives you his grade of A plus and he puts that in your account. And that's what makes you worthy of heaven because you have Jesus' righteousness put into your account. Now, how do you receive the gift? I had Dan turn over to Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. It says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How do you receive the gift? You open your hands and receive it, but the best way to do it is to call on the Lord. And I said, Dan, you could call on the Lord right now and receive that gift. 
But before you do, let me clear, clarify something with you, Dan. I want to tell you two things. Number one, you have to receive the gift by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for the gift of God, for the, how's that go? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, help me out. For by grace, yeah, I started it wrong. Never start a verse wrong. You'll never get back to it. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We're saved by faith. And so I said, Dan, you know, you, you can say a prayer right now and say all the right words, and it won't make any difference if there's no faith, because we're saved by faith. And faith is a hard thing to define. The way I defined it with Dan, I said, Dan, you know, we came in this restaurant, and you sat down at the chair at this table, and you really did that by faith, because you've never seen this chair before. You came in, looked at the chair, and said, I believe in that chair, and you sat in it. Now, Dan, if you were still standing at the table telling me how much you thought that was a great chair, how wonderful that chair looks, how strong that chair is, how you believe in that chair, but you never sat in the chair, you would never have faith. A lot of people say nice things about Jesus, believe wonderful things about Jesus, but they never sit in the chair. That's faith. When I put my entire weight on the chair, when I rest totally in Jesus Christ, that's what faith is. And I wanted to clarify that with Dan so he understood that this was not some kind of ritual. It was not some kind of just saying certain words. It's a hard issue of faith and sincerity before God. And then secondly, I said to Dan, you know, salvation is a free gift but it costs you everything. It's a free gift, but it's going to cost you everything. Because Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is not just somebody you're going to add to your life. You have to lose your life as you entrust yourself to him. And I told Dan a story. I told him a story about a guy who was lost in the desert. Couldn't find his way out. Couldn't figure out which direction to go. It was hot. The sun was shining. It was, he had no water. He was dying of thirst. When he was just about to give up and lay down and die, he saw on the horizon something. He couldn't make out what it was, and he started walking toward it, and he got over to it, and it was a, a hand pump well. And he saw it, and he, with the last energy he had, he started cranking the pump on it, and nothing came out. And then he noticed a little note attached to it, and the note said, dig five feet to the east. So he looked around to figure out which way was east and he stepped off five feet and he dug down in the sand and he found a jar of water. And he was so excited. He was just about to screw the top off and drink the water when he noticed another note. 
And the note said, use this water to prime the pump. Now that man had a choice to make. He could drink that water, enjoy some temporal satisfaction, and die in a few hours. Or he could pour that water in the pump, prime the pump, and have all the water he would ever need. And I said, Dan, that's the choice you have to make. You've got your jar of water. It's your life. You can hang on to it, sip it, drink it fast, whatever you want to do. It's yours. But if you drink it yourself, you're going to die. Or you can take your life and you can pour it into Jesus Christ. Lose it. And have life everlasting. That's the decision you have to make. And I said, Dan, if you're ready with a heart of faith and you're willing to surrender your all, that's what repentance is. Brittany talked about it's turning away from everything else. My way, my sin, myself to Jesus Christ. If you're ready to do that, then I would challenge you to call on the Lord right now. To simply say to him, I'm a sinner and I deserve death. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And I turn from my sin, I turn from my way and I surrender my life to you. Dan and I went out of that restaurant because it was a little loud at that point and we went out and we sat in his car and he prayed that prayer and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, it's that simple. But it requires faith and it requires a willingness to say, I'm going to let go of my life. Give it all to you, Jesus. And if you're here today and you know the Lord, I want to challenge you that it's that simple. I wasn't thinking about lost people. I was thinking about doing wheelies in a wheelchair. God brought an opportunity along. All we have to do is be willing to speak your testimony and the simple truth of the gospel. And God can change lives. God is the one who adds people to his number. We don't do that. We're witnesses. We share the truth of God. And God does the work. So as we close our service today, I want you to think about where you're at in relationship to the Lord. And I want to think about whether you're drowning on the Titanic or whether you're sitting in a lifeboat. Either way, there's a challenge today for you. If you're sinking in the icy waters, there's salvation in Jesus Christ if you'll come to him. If you're sitting in the lifeboat, then we need to do something. And we need to paddle back and stop tuning out the cries of the lost. 
Let's think about that with an honest heart before the Lord as we close our service. Let's stand as we do so.